Exodus chapter 12, um, we, a couple weeks ago, we weren't here last Sunday uh, because of, uh, what holiday was it, Labor Day, and then, uh, so a couple weeks ago, we were at Exodus, and Daryl taught on the plagues, and uh, so today we're going to pick up from there. Now, um, just an introduction, God had shown Egypt uh, and the Jewish people through the plagues, that the Egyptian gods were no gods at all. They had no power, and he had the power. Uh, and he, um, the, the greatest of the acts he did was to uh, deliver the firstborn of the uh, Isra- Israelis through faith. Uh, that They um, went through the Passover, and their firstborn wasn't killed, and he... Um, gave them faith as their instruction, and uh, we're people of faith as well, and so we live by God's instruction. That's, that is faith, it's when we live by God's instruction. It's not how I feel about it, it's not how, uh, but it's just whether I trust Him enough that I obey. See, that's, that's the essence of faith. So now we come to Israel on the move, the night that they move out. And I don't know how far you got two weeks ago about this, but it may be a little repetitious. But if you're like me, a few days go by, you forget it anyway. And so that's looking. Chapter 12, verse 29. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And uh, I mentioned to you earlier, this is the anniversary of, this is 9-11, and we, we remember how that shocked us, how that shocked us, and we mourned and grieved, and imagine what this did to the Egyptians. Then verse 31, then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, rise, go out uh, from among my people, both you and all the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks, your herds, as you said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people, Israel, took their dough before it was eleven, having their kneading bowls bound up uh, in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians." And the word plunder doesn't mean, we, when we read that word today, we think about they stole from them or they took what was theirs uh, unlawfully, but it doesn't mean that at all. The Egyptians gave to them freely and willingly. God put that in their heart to do that. God had told Abraham some 400 years prior that these people would come out wealthy, and now uh, God saw that they're going to come out wealthy. It would be like uh, we... We support, we support missionaries, and they're not plundering us. We, they're going on a journey, and, and we give to them, realizing they need help with their journey. And so that's what happened here, and so it wasn't a plunder in that sense. But uh, God provided for the, uh, the, Egypt, the, the Israelites who had been slaves, and he provided a salary that they had not been getting, I suppose. I, I would assume that. 
So Pharaoh gives in completely to the power of the Lord. Um, And uh, so now we get a couple of details. Look with me a little further, verse 37. And then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot beside children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. Okay, I'm going to give you a little, a little speculation. I don't know how deeply you study, but if you, if you read many commentaries about what goes on here, uh, there's, there's a little bit of um, a different opinion about how many people there were. We read here in the English version that there are 600,000 men on foot beside children. So 600,000 men, uh, that would be probably between the ages of 20 and 50, because that's how Israel numbered their men. And if you were younger than that, you couldn't fight. If you are older than that, I'm sorry, but you couldn't fight either, probably. So uh, they didn't think you were capable. I'd, I'd agree with that, probably. So any, anyway, that would probably mean somewhere around 2 million people with, with wives and children, and, and it would probably be a number around that. Could be more, could be a little bit less. There are some, there are some commentaries and some commentators who believe when you read this word, 600,000, they believe the Hebrew word for thousand there is clan. There would be 600 clans of people who go up. And so that might be anywhere then there would be from 60 to 200,000 people, not 600,000. And, you know, I'm going to say to you today that here's what I think. Um, if you read, if you read carefully, and the people, there are people who refute that. There are people who say it's just impossible for two million people to travel forty years in the desert. There wouldn't have been enough water. There wouldn't have been enough firewood. There wouldn't have been enough substance. But when we read the story, we know God provided. God provided, and He's quite capable. He, he can provide for me as one person. He can provide for two million people just as easily. He is God. And this is his work. This is what he's doing. And then there are people also who refute the, uh, the, the actual Hebrew of that instead of, instead of being thousand clan, they refute that. They say, no, it, it's thousands because when you look at the rest of Scripture, uh, the word is used again and in the context would be thousands. And so I'm going to go with the two million people about. So 600,000 men, they come out. It's a miraculous thing. And let me just say this. Had it been 100,000, it's still miraculous. It's still just as miraculous. And uh, it wouldn't change it one, one bit. So we read then that they came out, but they came out with verse 38. A mixed multitude went up with them also, with flocks and herds, great deal of livestock. A mixed multitude. That means there are people who are not Jewish who went with them. There, were, there might have been a little bit of intermarrying. There might have been just in their association, the Egyptian people who lived around and, and with uh, the Jews. I'm going to call them Jews instead of Israelis. The, the Bible used that term. It's not a term of derogatory. But, uh, so I'm just going to, it's easier for me. I'm, I'm going to call them the Jews, the Jewish people. So these people saw the power of God. Uh, these Egyptian people 
and maybe other slaves, maybe not Egyptian, but maybe other slaves that the Egyptians taken, they saw the power of God and they responded to the power of God. They thought, okay, these people have the, they have a God that, that works and I want to be a part of that. Uh, they have these riches and I want to be a part of that. Uh, they're leaving Egypt and I want to leave Egypt, so I'm going with them. And so this mixed multitude goes with them. Some commentators say that it's like unsaved church members. It said unsaved church members eventually will cause problems. <laughs> Saved church members cause problems. I call, the pastor causes problems. I'm not the pastor, but the, but the pastor causes problems sometimes. Pastors cause problems. Everybody's a problem. You realize that? Uh, everybody is a problem. And so that's probably how the Lord thinks too. So anyway, they, they come out, and later this mixed multitude is going to cause some problems for Moses and uh, for the people. They're going, to, they're going to whine and not... If you, it, it's, it's different from seeing, and here's what I say to myself. I don't want to just see the power of God. I want to know God. I want to, I want to know Him. And we're attracted to the power of God, but, but if, we, if we miss knowing God, we, we miss the purpose. And so I need to be careful in my own life about wanting to, to know God himself and not just have his blessing in my life. See, that's why we want the power. We want blessing in our life. We want him to protect us. We want him to take us to heaven when we die. And instead of, uh, instead of just seeking a relationship for him because of his majesty and his goodness. And now we see God's overarching will. We're, we're, look with me to verse 40. And now the surgeon, sur, sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. A um, little discrepancy there. Before we said they were going to be, God told everybody to be there 400 years, but probably started the counting from the time he told Abraham that. I read a Schofield Bible. That's what my note says. That would be the right timing. So they were there 430 years, and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. The armies of the Lord means the congregation of the Lord, uh, that the, the people of God, uh, the Jewish people. On that very same day, they came out from Egypt. So God is, uh, this is God's will. We see his timing um, and here again, as we have already, we see the paradox between man's will and God's will. And uh, it, is, it is a paradox. Sometimes we can't figure out how it fits together, but we, you see both. Uh, the paradox is, I think, that man's free will, he, I think the Jewish people, I've told you this a couple times as we studied, I think they should have left when the famine was over. They should have packed up and gone back to the land of Canaan, but because they lived in the best of the land, and they were shepherds, and they lived in Goshen, the best of the land of Egypt, they liked it there. They were very prosperous there. They were very blessed there. But was it God's will? It was God's will that the promise had been given to them in the land of Canaan, to live in the land that God wanted them to live in. But now they're in this foreign land, they're surrounded by these pagan gods, and they're satisfied to dwell there. They're, 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 not, un, they're not unhappy there, and they don't particularly want to go back 
Uh, they like dwelling there because you go back to Canaan and it's arid and dry and it's not a good place for your flocks and your herds. You'd have to trim some of your flocks and herds probably. But now here in Goshen, as many as they have, they were blessed. You know, it's the same thing you remember after the, later on in their history, they're going to be taken to captivity and end up in Babylon or controlled by the Babylonians. And then they're going to have the freedom to go back to Israel. And only about 50,000 of them avail themselves of that freedom. The rest of the people are satisfied to live in Babylon because that's where their children were born. That's where their roots were now. They had never dwelt in Canaan. Now it's like third or fourth generation. They never dwelt in Canaan. And so they just said, why would I want to go there? And why would we want to go and serve the Lord? Why are we here this morning? And it is simply because we take the trouble to set our alarm, get up, and get ourselves prepared, and we come because we believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. We, we believe He is the Savior. We believe God gave Him to redeem us by His blood, and we're honoring Him by being here. We, we are worshiping. That's, see, that's, and, and, it, and it, you, you pay a price to do that. We, we worship and, and we give of ourselves because we believe, we have faith. And uh, so not everybody does. And, and so we see um, God's will was for them to be in Canaan, but man's will was to stay in Egypt until... They, they recognize, okay, there are things I think of when I go along. They're not in the notes. So, I want to tell you. so why, did, why did they change their mind? Now, why are they all willing to leave? Because they'd been in slavery. And now I want to go all the way back to creation. In, in, the, when, when in creation, the, the world order was perfect. It was perfect. God came in the evening, visited with Adam and Eve. They had a perfect relationship. They had a perfect world. And then sin entered, and when, when sin entered, the curse of sin passed upon all mankind, and Adam, I, I'm a child of Adam, you're a child of Adam, and we dwell in a sin-cursed world, in a sin-cursed body. Now, why is that? Why, why is there a curse attached to sin? Why was there slavery for the people in, in the Jewish people in Egypt after a period of time to prick their conscience that they would not want to continue to dwell there? They would say, there is something better than this. We're not free to worship God. We, we don't have the freedom to, to, to respond in a God-honoring manner that we want to. And to tell you the truth this morning, I don't. And now, what limits that freedom? What limits that freedom is my sin and my sinfulness. I'm an imperfect person who, who has a perfect God, and I cannot respond to Him in every way that I want to. And I'm not even saying that I always want to. I, I, most of the time I want to. I'm here. I, I got up. Sometimes I have to kind of drag Donna out of bed to get her to come. But, <laughs> but you understand... I, I, I'm an imperfect person, and my sin, my sin tells me that there's something better than this. My sin makes me unhappy with where I am. So here I am. I, I'm, I, I'm here because, the same reason you're here, I want to know God. 
I want to know God. I want a closer relationship with God. I, I want to honor Him. I want to, be, I want to be in His grace. I want the fullness of His love. And, that, and, and what prompts me to that is my sin and the sin of the world. And so what prompted the Jewish people to leave is because they ended up in slavery. And who gave them the slavery? It was God's work. Why is there a curse of sin upon our world? You know, when you're watching the news and you think, God, why is our world in such a, a chaotic condition? Why, why are we, why is, it, it, and if, if you read, I read Reuters news service, and you get news from the whole world, and the whole world is in a chaotic condition. Governments, and there's, there's rioting, and there's overthrowing governments. It's, it's around the world. Now, why is that? It's the curse of sin. It's the curse of sin, and God is saying to our world, this is not it. This is not what you need. This is not all there is. I am the one you are to love. I, if you follow me, you will have your, a, a peace in your heart and joy in your spirit, and eventually you will have an eternal relationship in my presence. And God's teaching our world that this world is not our hope. And, and so he taught, the Egypt, he taught the Jewish people that through their slavery, and now they have come out. So there is an overreaching will of God. Now, why did they have to go to Egypt? Why did they, so they spent those 400 years there. Now, why? You go back to Genesis 38, and in Genesis, 30, in, in Genesis you have the story of not only the creation, but you move in, and eventually you move into Abraham, and Abraham family, and then you get to Jacob, and Jacob uh, is the father of the patriarchs, so now there are 12 tribes of Israel, and you get to chapter 38, and you read that Judah, who is the line, that, not lion, but the line, he's the line of Christ, Judah's the line of Christ, and Judah goes and marries a pagan. Okay. Now, what would happen, see, this is Satan at work. Satan moves in Judah's heart to go and marry a pagan woman. And a pagan woman doesn't mean she's wicked, or but it just simply means she believes in other gods. And, and she believes in other gods. And it would begin the dissimulation of the nation of Israel. Here you have this little tribe of people, 70-something people, who are going to go to Egypt, but now they're dwelling in the land of Canaan, surrounded by pagan cultures with other gods, gods like Baal, and who, who cast their children into the fire. So now they're surrounded by these gods, and, they're, and Judah, they're beginning to intermarry, and they would be absorbed by that culture, and there would not be a people of God. So God sends them to Egypt. You remember Joseph said, uh, after his brothers came revealed to him, he said, God sent me here for your protection. So they go to Egypt, and the Egyptians despised them because they were shepherds, and they would not intermarry with them. They isolated them. And the Jewish people were in an incubator, and they, and they intermarried with themselves and became a great nation. So God is at work. And you know, when I read that and I think, you know, God's still at work today. I don't know what he's doing fully, but he's, he's calling out a people for his name. I know that because the Bible teaches us that. 
So all around the world, he's calling out a people for his name. He did it mightily in the last hundred years in the United States. He's not doing it much more, and it doesn't seem to me, anymore in the United States. He's, there's not many people being saved in the United States today. But he's doing it in the southern hemisphere greatly. He, he's doing it among the, the, the Latin people and among the African people. He, he's doing it among the Indonesian people. God is calling out a people for his name. If you run, the gospel started in, 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 in Asia. It started, you know, in well, the Middle East, moved through Europe, moved to the New World. Now it's moved back south again. And now it's, it's and, and so God's given all the world a chance. And they hear the gospel. And when we, in our sophistication, have decided we don't need it, God's moved on. Now, I'm not saying he won't save people today. I hope he saves someone today. I hope he's, if you're unsaved in this class, I hope he saves you. In uh, uh, the church service, if my grandchildren don't really know him, I hope he saves them. I hope he saves yours. But, but he, and he can and he will, but not like he did 30, 40 years ago in the United States. We, we recognize that. And, and it, you look at the history of Europe and you realize that it's just gone. So God has an overarching will, and he is at work today just like he was in the lives of these people. It's just as miraculous. We just don't see it. We become, we become, what's the word I want to use? We become immune to the glory of God. Um, I'm so satisfied with my life. I have it so easy. And, and I'm no different from you. I don't, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not putting myself above you. I don't have it any easier than you do, but you have it easy as well. I mean, we, just, we live in John Piper's work, Disneyland. We have air conditioning. We have cars to drive. We have canned food to eat. We have refrigeration. We have air conditioning most of the time. You know, we have, uh, we just, we just, it's so, life's so easy here. We have doctors. We have medication. I have a whole pot full of medication that I take. <laughs> Which doesn't mean I'm not going to die. It's not, it's not going to keep me. I'm way off now. So anyway, so God's overarching will. He put them in an incubator because he didn't want them disseminated into the nations around them and there would not be a Jewish nation. He, wanted, he, he picked them out to be a testimony to his name. The Jewish are no more privileged than we are today because we know Jesus Christ, but he picked them out to be a testimony to the world. He said, I want you to be a testimony to every nation, and they weren't doing it, so he puts them in an incubator and teaches them that he is their God. And so they come out, and they've learned their lesson, and they know that. Uh, They're they're going to drift into idolatry hundreds of years from now, but not, not yet and not now. So he gives them some instruction down at verse 42. I'm going to summarize it um, he, down through the rest of the chapter. He, he tells them, I want you to remember this night. I want you to commemorate the, pass, the Passover. And, and, and the Jewish people have. Today, the practicing Jewish people still commemorate the Passover. Uh, they remember what God did for them and, and this Passover time. And then he said to them, I want you to consecrate the firstborn of your children, the firstborn of everything you had. 
you remember Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple to give an offering. Now, the commemoration of the firstborn is that if it was a clean animal, you would sacrifice it. Or if it was an unclean animal or a child, or then what would you do? You would offer a substitute sacrifice. God gives them all those instructions in the book of Leviticus, I think it is. And so they understand that you, get, you, you take a substitute and you get a clean animal. And if you're poor, it is only could be a, a couple of birds. And you offer that and you're acknowledging to God that I'm dependent upon you, that I am acknowledging your, your right and to the firstborn, and I'm giving that firstborn to you. And uh, you go to chapter 13, and uh, down through verse 16, that's what you realize. There, there's, uh, the firstborn of humans would be redeemed by a symbolic offering. Mary and Joseph did that for Jesus. And then begins the journey out of Egypt. Chapter 13, verse 17, we'll read this. Verse 17 down through verse 20. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. If you could get a map in your mind, and let's just say, let's just say at the bottom of this, these wooden petitions was, was where the people were, and they were going to go to where the cross is, right up on the right-hand side. And, and so instead of God taking them right around this river and going up, they go all the way over here. And they go straight across over here, and they come into a cul-de-sac. Now, God, if God had taken them straight up there, it would have been a journey of no more than a couple weeks, even for two million people. But they would have had to fight the Philistines. And God said, they're not ready <clears throat> to fight the fellow. And if they see war, they'll turn back. Because even though they were slaves in Egypt, they didn't see war during that time. And so they would turn back, and they're not ready for that. So he takes them into this cul-de-sac. <clears throat> and it's really interesting when you read, where do we read that? Verse 37... Let me look at my note. Verse 20, verse 17. <laughs> and it came to pass when Pharaoh had led the people, had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest bad the people change their mind. When you see what, so, verse 18. So God led the people around the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. So he leads them into this cul-de-sac with the Egyptians behind them, knowing they had no option. Uh, knowing they could not defeat the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And so, what's God doing? He, he's, he's training them. He's training them. You have any problems this morning? I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I have a few. Um, I, or, you know, it's really contradictory. You know, I just told you I have a great life, and now I tell you I have a few problems. <laughs> <clears throat> I live on a seesaw. Some days it's like this, you know. Some days it's a great life. Some days the problems are up on top. But, you know, now why do we have those? Because I need to not look horizontally. I need to look up. And the problems make me look up. And so God leads them into this cul-de-sac. Pharaoh's behind them. 
the, the Red Sea's in front of them, the mountains on one side, they have no options. And God leads them there. And then, but he doesn't lead them by themselves. We read this in verse 21, chapter 13, verse 21. Now the Lord went before them by day in a pillar, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night. So God is teaching them, I'm with you. God is saying, I am with you. Jesus says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is with us. Jesus is with us. Uh, And we need to look up and trust in him. God was with them. Chapter 14 is about God's glory over Pharaoh at the Red Sea. I'm going to summarize it. Verse 4, um, God said this, Then I, chapter 14, verse 4, that I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So, he brings the children of Israel there. They're like a sacrificial lamb. Pharaoh is coming. He's going, to, he's going to recapture them, take them back to Goshen. They have no options. And, but we now the cloud is there. God's with them. And he's going to get glory over Pharaoh. We'll read down in verse 10. When they realize they're trapped, uh, and when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lift their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. That's why I have a few problems in my life as a Christian, is that I, I need to learn to cry out to the Lord. I need to learn that I, I, can't, I can't just trust whatever little I have in the bank. I can't trust the fact that I'm an American. I can't trust the fact that I live in this great country. I can't I can't trust the fact that the government says they'll protect me and take care of me and, you know, and, and cradle to grave. I, I can't trust any of those things. I can't trust you. I can't, I can't trust any of those things. I need to trust the Lord. And you need to trust only the Lord. Trust only the Lord. You know, I'm trying to think who, who said this. We, we trust each other, but we trust each other in the Lord. We trust each other in, in the Lord because as a Christian, I owe you an allegiance as a Christian. I owe you honor. I, I owe you love. Uh, and I trust in the Lord to do that through me. You should be doing the same thing. But we, we do it as unto the Lord, not in our own strength, not in our own goodness. Uh, but we do it as unto the Lord. And I, I hope, hope you recognize that. God was with them and... He's going to get glory over Pharaoh. Uh, when, they, when they recognize they're in trouble, they cry out. Verse 10 is what we read. And now we read what Moses had to say, verse 13. These, these things are so significant in their history. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. Not those same ones. They're going there's going to be some Egyptian problems later on, but not the same ones. Okay, for the, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your, your peace. So that's Moses' faith. He wanted the people to have that faith. And now we read the outcome. You know, you're familiar with the story. 
But read the outcome down in verse 30 of chapter 14. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so that the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Okay, now I'm going to talk about something very important uh, to you today. Uh, I think very important. When we read this outcome, chapter 15 is the Song of Moses. Um, the, the, it's down through verse 19. It's the, song of Mo- it's, it's the Song of Moses glorifying God for what had happened. Okay, a couple things I want to say about that, and then we'll be finished. I, I, want, to, I want you to know, if we don't have time to read it and I want you to. I hope you'd read it at some point. These nineteen verses, but and we're going to look at just a couple of it just in a moment. But what what happens here is it's glory to God. It's not it's not glory to man. A lot of our singing. Now I, I appreciated Teresa's song this morning uh, when she got up to sing. I thought, Oh Lord, please let Teresa sing about the Lord, not about her love for the Lord and herself. And, so, and she and she didn't. Thank you, Teresa. So. A lot of our singing today is about ourselves, our love for the Lord, our faithfulness, our whatever. And this, and this song of Moses is not about Moses. Uh, it's not about Aaron or Miriam. It's, not, it's about the Lord. It's about what the Lord did. Uh, a, co- a couple things I, I want to say about that. Uh, God's exalted for his work in this. He, he's, he's exalted uh, because he brought them out, he's going to take them in. Uh, he, he's exalted about uh, for who he is and, and what he's doing. I, I, I want to read just a little bit of the song, verse 1 through 3, and verse 15. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. Down in verse 11, we read this. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearless in praises, doing wonders? And you stretched out your, your hand, your right hand, the earth swallowed them. So here is God exalted for he is. Down in verse 18, we read this. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Now I want to go back. Read verse 1 through 3. But So God is exalted, but he's exalted in two ways. He's exalted for the redemption of Israel and the destruction of Egypt. And a lot of people reading the Old Testament have problems with that. They have problems. This, this nation's going to go. We're going to see later as we go through the details. They're going to go into Canaan and they're going to, bat, they're going to destroy seven nations. A lot of people have trouble with that throughout the Old Testament, that, that David was a man of blood. He was a man after God's own heart, but a man of blood. And people would say, you know, I like Jesus, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. And so I want to just say a couple things about that, and then, then we'll be through. Redemption is never complete until the curse is destroyed. I, our redemption is not complete today. That's why I'm telling you that I have trouble worshiping because I'm a sinner. So my redemption is not complete. One day when I go to the presence of the Lord, when he calls me home, 
or he comes again and receives me and to himself then, uh, my redemption is going to be complete. Today it's not complete. I'm redeemed and I'm secure in the hand of God, but I still dwell in this sinful flesh, and so do you, and our redemption is not complete. So redemption is, is, is that there has to be the destruction of the curse. Jesus said that the last enemy is death. And he's conquered the last enemy, just not yet. It's already done, but the the enemy has not yet been put completely to death because we still still die. You know, again, let me repeat. Many people have a problem with the judgment that God brings. Uh, There is a judgment of the sin curse in our world today. If if you were to read the Sunday's paper today, uh, there's going to be story, or you watch the news, there's going to be stories of shootings and stabbings, and there's going to be stories of uh, accidents, and good people die, bad people die, uh, uh, children die. Um, You know, we're just going to be, we're going to be overwhelmed with the curse of sin and we are in our newscast today. We're overwhelmed with the curse of sin uh, because it's, it's, in our, it's in our whole world. And, and we think, okay, God, where are you? And, and there are a lot of people who are unbelievers who, who do not recognize that in the death of Christ, there is, in Jews John Owen's word, the death of death. They don't recognize that. They don't recognize that even though I might be killed by the curse of sin or taken early by the curse of sin, but I'm in Christ and there's an eternity that awaits me of, of, of a relationship to God. And when they don't recognize that, all they see is the unfairness in our world. And we as Christians need to see beyond that. It's not unfairness. It's, it's, it's the love of God working through the curse of sin to make people realize their need. That God is... God, God is Destroying the curse. Let me read you what I've written. Uh, does, not, does not the God who created man have the right to punish sin? Is he not righteous in doing so? We cannot judge God by our standards of fairness, but realize his judgments against unrighteous rebellion are justified. Look in verse 11. Of, of the song of Moses, who is like you, O God, among the gods, who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearless in praises, doing wonders, glorious in holiness. God is glorious in holiness. Holiness demands the judgment of the curse. And you know, it's not, I'm not saying it's easy for us to understand that. It's, it's difficult. But that's faith. Again, God is righteous. He's holy. He has a right to judge the earth. Uh, one day Jesus will judge every living being. The sea will give up the dead in it. And uh, the grave will give up the dead. And uh, every single person who's been created will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for their sin. He's righteous. He's holy. But there's an account being taken today. And the account is not, it's not God up there like whack-a-mole, you know, doing that to us. He's not, but, he's not, but the curse of sin does that to us. And sometimes that curse is in another person's heart, 
and sometimes it's in military leaders, sometimes it's politicians, sometimes it's us when we experience a little road rage or we, we participate in a little road rage. I've seen you drive. I'll go around town. <laughs> sometimes, and, and that is, that is, that's God at work. I don't think I'm explaining this like I want to. Let me just say this. Here, here's, what, uh, here's what a man named Clark said. He who has God for his strength will have him for his song. And he to whom Jehovah has become salvation will exalt his name. So I'm going to close this morning by asking you, is there a song in your heart to the Lord? Is it a song of uh, acknowledgement of his majesty, of his glory? You, you know, I, we don't always get up with a song, but we should, uh, we should come to that place that, that we have a song of praise in our heart for the majesty and the glory of God in our lives, and, and especially we who know Jesus Christ. Pray with me, and uh, we'll go. Our Father, we thank you that you have loved us in Christ, and uh, Lord, let us remember in, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our, our own sinfulness, that you are our God. You're a glorious, holy, righteous God who has adopted us, loved us. Uh, Father, as we read these accounts of the people of Israel, let us realize that it says in Corinthians that it's there for our instruction, uh, Lord, that we don't fall in the same pitfalls, but that we, uh, we, that we worship you uh, consistently, and uh, Lord, that we are obedient to you in faith, and that we exalt your name in all that we are. Please help us. We can't do it on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us and your word to guide us. So please help us this morning. We pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, God bless you. We'll see you in church.